0: This Global IQ Minute with Jim Falk is with Adrian Woldridge, the economist, management editor, and writer of the popular and influential Schumpeter column. A prolific author and speaker, Adrian is the author of the recently published book, The Great Disruption, How Business is Coping with Turbulent Times. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for inviting me. Adrian, what was the impetus
1: that led to the creation of the Schumpeter column? Well, in 2009, we decided that we wanted to create a business column. We had a column on um, British politics called Badgett. We had a a column on American politics called Lexington. And a column on European politics called Charlemagne. And we thought it would be nice to have uh, a look at at business in in, in a column form, uh, which allows you to be a bit more opinionated than than, than writing just straight news notes. Uh, And we had a great debate about what to call it. And the leading champion for a long time was Wilson, after the founder of The Economist is called James Wilson, who founded our organization, who was a great businessman in his own right and a very uh, vigorous and orthodox Manchester liberal. We still have his uh, statue in our um, uh, foyer at The Economist at 25 St. James's Street in London, which sort of, as we look at it, as we walk in, it reminds us to stick to the great principles of Manchester liberalism and not allow any terrible socialism to creep into our writings. Um, But we thought at the time, well, Wilson, it's not really a very exciting name, and it reminds English people of Harold Wilson, who was a prime minister not entirely revered uh, either at the time or now, or Woodrow Wilson in the United States. It doesn't really have much of a ring to it. Then I came up with the idea of calling it Schumpeter after the great economist Joseph Schumpeter. And I think that has more of a sort of exotic ring, Schumpeter, but also more importantly than the, the, the ring of it, he was, um, he was an economist who really liked business people. He and he taught at Harvard too, didn't he? He taught at Harvard for a long time, 30 years I think, a very long time. Um, and he thought that business people, entrepreneurs really, were the motive force of history. They were the people who conceived of great ideas and put them into practice. So he, he, he really liked business people, whereas a lot of economists think in terms of uh, abstract forces, supply, demand, and things like this. He thought of, of businessmen as the motive force of history. And he also um, coined this great phrase, creative destruction. He thought that capitalism proceeds by a succession of, of creative destructions. And that seemed like exactly the right sort of phrase, really, to capture the modern world we are going through. We are living through a period of great creative destruction. So Schumpeter was suggested, and Schumpeter it was. Well, that's where we can move into the book, The Great Disruption.
0: You know, when someone talks about ages, what comes first in my mind is the industrial age, perhaps the technology age, internet, and these have been really tectonic shifts. The thesis that you are exposing, you're talking about in your in your book, it, it
1: is really that we too are living in an age now, isn't it? I think we are living through an age of great disruption, as I call it in this book, of creative destruction, as Schumpeter called it, um, of a very um, singular sort, uh, comparable with the Industrial Revolution of the 19th century, I would say. Um, And if you look around you, you see a whole succession of disruptions. If you think of this century, we've had the financial crisis, we've had the Enron WorldCom. Sort of corporate crisis of the early part of the 20th century, 21st century, um, we see a whole series of uh, disruptions going on. Um, if you go back to 1970, only uh, 75, you would find that about 75% of the companies in the Fortune 500 um, list of companies are no longer in the list. They've dropped out or they don't exist anymore. If you look at CEOs in the year 2000, the average tenure of a CEO of, uh, of uh, a Fortune 500 company would be 10 years. It's now five years. It's halved in the last 14 years. Is this a global phenomenon? It's a global phenomenon, absolutely, led by led by the United States and, and, and England, but happening in Europe and Japan even as well. They're, they're a bit slower. Um, and if you look at the average job tenure, the biggest category of workers in this country, retail workers, and their average job tenure is three years. So you have a huge churn going on. Um, If you look at the average life expectancy of a company in 1937, at the height of the Great Depression, it was 75 years, it's now about 17, 18 years. So that's shrinking. So there are all sorts of big, big disruptive changes. And I think that we're at the beginning of a period whereby those changes will get will get faster, will get will get more more disruptive. Because I think we have a series of technologies now, which are having a pervasive effect on the economy. Uber, I will point to as a classic example of that. You would have thought something like driving a taxi, um, providing taxi services, would be something that wouldn't change. It would be impervious to technological change. But in fact, Uber is is, is changing the whole business. Of, of taxi driving and creating a great deal of disruption in the process we just saw, saw today in the news vast protests in in, 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 um, in London in Paris um, by taxi drivers and I noticed also in London that taxi drivers are very annoyed but in London they're civilised and restrained in their protests whereas of course in Paris they immediately started fighting people <laughs> uh, typical sort of French belligerence there I say that as an English person. Well, you know,
0: there, there always used to be this idea that you had a contract between the employee yes. and the company. You'd get your watch after a certain period yeah. of time, and so it seems that yesterday's employment model has just been tossed out Absolutely. the window. Much less loyalty from coming from either party. So, what's the impact of this? And, and if you're a young person, I mean, how do you how do you handle it?
1: Well, I think there's a, the, the, there's a huge impact. We used to think of the company as something that's a relatively solid organization. It owned things, it had workers, um, it had a, a long-term plan for the future. And you could you, you know, you conceive of your life as working for that company for most of your, your life. Companies are becoming much more virtual. They're becoming much more um, amorphous. And they have much shorter contracts with their workers. They expect to employ their workers as temporary workers, as contract workers, certainly not to give them employment rights, except when they absolutely have to. And at the same time, workers are responding to that, or young people particularly respond to that, by thinking of their lives as being much more mobile, moving from one company to another. So the old all, all contract, which was, you know, you, you give us loyalty and we'll give you a long-term job, has gone. There's no loyalty and there are no long-term jobs. So what are our options? How do you minimize the impact of all this, or do you need to? Um, I think... There are always going to be a few people who will be company men. I think all companies, even Uber, will have, have to have a staff of people who they look at as long-term employees. But that long-term core of workers is getting much, much smaller. So you can be a company man, and there are some, some companies that, 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 that obviously deal with big physical assets like Uh, like oil and things like that. So there will be some company men, but as a proportion of the economy, they will be much smaller and there will be a much larger penumbra of people who have temporary work um, or who have contract work or who move from one job to another with great speed. So I think the onus on those people is to remain not in employment but to remain employable to keep their skills up to speed so they should look at every single job that they get not just as a chance to get a pay slip but also as a chance to improve their skills to make them more employable to make them more desirable for other other employers in the long term so everything you do um, whether it's getting a job or going to the World Affairs Council or reading The Economist every week, should be done in part with the notion of sharpening the saw, keeping yourself employable, keeping yourself Especially up to the date. last two. Absolutely, Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. But is this
0: creating a greater sense of identity or is it taking identity away from
1: people? I think it's creating um, new senses of identity and it's creating great tensions about the notion of identity. I think that for a long time, um, people's identities were bound up with their jobs, with their employers, with the people, with the organizations that they work for. I think that's beginning to change. People's identities are bound up much more with their educational qualifications, with the particular profession that they work for. They will say, I'm a dentist, I'm an accountant, I'm a journalist much more than I work for this, I work for that. So that with their skill set, their identity is bound up with. But also, I think there's... A bigger problem with identity, which is something that concerns me much more, and that is that as the world becomes more perpetually disrupted, as your sense of yourself becomes more challenged all the time by, by, by change, people take refuge in sort of eternal, age-old senses of identity. So we have a resurgence around the world of identity politics, which of course is a, its worse. In the Islamic world and with Islamic fundamentalism, that your identity is is, is bound up with a very strict and, 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 and rather abhorrent uh, reading of what Islam is about. But we see it all over the world, really, with the rise of uh, race politics or gender politics in American universities, which seems to be a great theme there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see it in the rise of nationalism. Um, and Britain, one of the world's, the United Kingdom, one of the world's most successful countries and used to rule quite a big chunk of the world, is now being torn apart by the rise of, of Scottish nationalism. You know, the, 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 45% of Scots voted for independence, 50 MPs now, the Scottish Nationalist Party had 50 MPs, so the Tories, uh, Labour and the Liberal Democrats, I think, have three MPs left in, in Scotland. So it's a country where, which has really shifted towards a very aggressive sort of uh, nationalism. Uh, And I think that that's that's dangerous. And I can see a future in in Europe on the one hand whereby you have a a rational, technocratic European Union trying to create rules and make a a happy playground for business and big business. On the other hand, uh, a big reaction against that in the terms of people retreating into national identities, ethnic identities, anti-immigrant identities. And I can see a world in which Marine Le Pen becomes president of France. It's unlikely, but it's certainly very possible in which you have um, extremely reactionary prediction.
0: yeah it's possible there I mean, you, you. We, just, we just have mm. another minute. I want to end on an yeah. optimistic note. Some of these changes that you've talked about actually have some positive oh, effects and, and yeah. as particularly in the areas of health. I no yeah. wonder if you might address that in, in a, about another 45 seconds or so.
1: Um, absolutely. I think that we're, in, in the 19th century, we had a huge improvement in pro- productivity in the machine world. Now we're having a huge improvement in pro- productivity in the service world. We're getting more done with the same uh, resources in education and particularly health. We will, for example, have a world in which um, we will all have sensors which will report back to our controllers, to our doctors, to our yeah. hospitals, to ourselves, you know, exactly what our, our health status, status is. And we will be able to see if we're about to break down, if we're going to have a health incident, not by waiting for it to happen, but these sensors will predict it and we will have a lot more um, interventions which will save a huge amount of money and pain and possible death because of that.
0: And we'll punch in on our Apple Watch uh, SOS all the time. Our guest on this Global IQ Minute has been the economist Shumpeter columnist, Adrian Wooldrich, and and author of The Great Disruption. It's really an eye-awakening anthology of columns and commentary about how business and the work environment are undergoing rapid change. Also, let me remind you to learn about a World Affairs Council in your community. Go to worldaffairscouncils.org. I'm Jim Falk. Thanks for listening.